0: Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? This is
1: 1049 Park Avenue. Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy?
2: Hello, and welcome to 1049 Park Avenue, an odd couple podcast. Ted Linhardt, Garrett Eisler, here to talk about Two on the Isle which is season five, episode 14, that aired 12, 19, 1974, and is available on Paramount Plus, although there is a small music edit on Paramount Plus that we will get to later. Um, Before we start, um, we got a good piece of feedback from one of our listeners, Jackson, who pointed out a fairly major over something we overlooked, I'll, I'll take the blame, when we were talking about last week in the episode um, with the fat suit. Can not remember the name of it now?
3: Uh, the bigger they are.
2: Uh, uh, Oscar has a blind date with a stewardess who comes in. And that's, we talked about her playing, played by Maggie Mancuso. We forgot to mention that she played Barbara Joe Babcock, the flight attendant. And I got in the, uh, in the fight of, of the Felix episode. Um, I don't think it's called Flight of the Felix," is it? No, it isn't. I don't think it's called <laughs> It's called maybe. The oh, fly- that's you know
3: what? You're right. "Fly to the Felix" is season one, the boxing episode. Yeah. For some reason,
2: um, isn't that? Oh, but yeah. the
3: fear of flying episode is uh. called. Uh, we should have, I had this looked um, up, but I wrote it down. The, the, the Fly, sorry, The,
2: the Flying the Felix. Fly <clears throat> anyway, we probably mentioned her last time um, when we talked about Flying Felix. And sure, yeah. I don't know how I
3: overlooked that. But <laughs> Wasn't that memorable. I will, we, you do, you cover a lot of uh, actors here.
2: So. Yeah, but she, but it's particularly interesting because she's playing yeah, a, a flight stewardess attendant. Again. And, right, yes, flight I attendant. I thought she looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't call them stewardess anymore maybe at oh, the time good. in fact even then wait did he say yes stu- yeah
4: swinging stewardess, yeah, swing
2: and stewardess yeah. right yeah
4: yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, anyway thanks to jackson for pointing that out and um glad we were able to uh mention it before we move on so do you want to talk about the writers of this week this
3: is uh written by the the big team of the mark rothman and the low
2: against yep so the episode starts with Oscar in his office, throwing darts at a giant picture of Felix that has a bubble coming out of his mouth that says, thanks, we have seen this before. This is the photo Felix gave to Oscar in season two, episode 17, You Saved My Life. When Oscar saved Felix's life, um, when he was falling out, of going to almost fall out the window, what's well, very frustrating to me <laughs> is that
3: i I thought it was
2: from that episode it was i went apparently
3: uh, listening to this scene it made me question that
2: i went back and look i mean i knew i've known this for decades that this is a problem but i went back just to be sure it's the same picture and i don't understand why they have to they what we'll find out is they the, the oscar refers to it as being given to him by felix for a different reason it's such a distinct picture. Obviously, they dug it right. out of the prop department. They must know. Everyone who works on this show knows why, when that picture came up. I right. don't understand why they have to refer to it.
3: And I'm pretty sure if you go see You Saved My Life, um, Felix is very clear that he mu- he put that together Yeah, for right. that occasion.
2: Right. Yes. Right. It's I guess. Not, yes. Well, right. It's not that he gave it when he... When he moved in, which is what we'll find out Oscar says it's for, and then brought it back out again for this. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, so uh, Oscar is throwing darts at the picture and we hear him mocking Felix, pick up your jacket, clean up your room, eat your broccoli, wash your hands, not in the kitchen, do in the bathroom. And then Myrna walks in who left working for Oscar months ago, if you believe oh, the yes. air art of the show. Oh, right. <laughs> But given that there's a lot of New York City filming in this, this would presume to be something they obviously filmed before the episode Myrna left. And then for whatever reason, aired it months later.
3: Well, yeah, just to put the facts out there. (laughs) No, it's, you know, who would have thought that she and Sheldon would have such a rough marriage already? You know, they were so in love. And is that what viewers must be wondering? Like, what happened to Sheldon? um but actually no this episode was one of those four that were taped i'm sorry three that were taped at the end of season four so for whatever reason uh i I, i'm assuming they were kind of putting a few in the can to save for the next season by this when they got to the you know spring of 1974 uh maybe this was their way of they're always worried they're going to be canceled and maybe this is their way of like <laughs> guaranteeing that they would at least have some season if they left a few episodes over. But uh, they did film it at the end of season four. So you can go back and look to see if anyone looks six months younger because that's it was filmed six months before the previous episode. Um, and, so, and clearly at a time when they did not anticipate that Myrna would be leading the show. Uh, it, that whole thing with Penny Marshall apparently over the summer, uh, she got into a contract dispute with them and neg- like was was trying to renegotiate because they weren't giving her a raise or were, uh, and it was only over the summer or maybe as they started filming that season five that they figured out they wouldn't have a Myrna. My theory is that they once they knew they would not have a Myrna they held this as long as they
2: could. That, why not why not do it earlier so it makes sense? Uh
3: yeah, that would have be been the first preference, <laughs> I guess. But I mean you remember how uh in season four we had that thing with Murray's or season three with Murray's wife being they they were in this mess where Murray's wife was being played by the same actors playing Oscar's mother. And my theory was that they postponed the Murrays, the, that, the Murray who came to dinner, that so makes that sense. it would be a far way that people would forget. And I think maybe something's going on here, except Myrna is much more memorable, of course. Like, if you're watching the show at all, you well, would well, be noticeable. Well,
2: the first one is an out-of-show fact, that they're just, they had these actors playing different right. people. This is an in-show plot line, so I don't understand how holding it make sense also there's no way they filmed three episodes of a show for a prior next season without knowing they got renewed that just doesn't happen so i do know they were always seemed like they're going to be canceled they must have known they were getting picked up or they the renewal came at the end of the filming because that's the only reason they would do this sure sure
3: anyway it's all of course always confusing but this is one of those and there's one more that's going to come on even later that they were for some reason held even later that we'll talk
2: about. Yeah. So anyway, so you've two continuity errors in the first minute of the show. So murder walks in um, and she asks Oscar where he got the picture. And he says, don't you remember? He gave it to me when I let him move in with me. My response would be, don't you remember Oscar? He (laughs) gave it to you when you saved his life. (laughs) Um, Murder says, can I have a shot? meaning with the darts, Oscar hands her a dart. He says, aim for his sinuses. She throws it, it hits his chin. And she announces, I hit, her, I hit his chin. And then she says, oh, by the way, here are your tickets. Oscar says, tickets to what? Myrna says, theater tickets. The boss said the off-broadway critic is ill. Oscar says, send him a get well card. And Myrna says, no, you have to cover the opening of the new play tonight. Oscar says, oh, I'm a sports writer. I'm not a theater critic. Tell him I'm not going to do it. And he hands the tickets back to Myrna. Myrna says, You tell him. Oscar says, You're my secretary. Myrna says, It's his paper. He has to be, it has to be in by midnight. And he says, You better give it your best shot. Oscar says, What does he think? I can't do it. I'll write a review that knocks his socks off. Myrna says, Like when you did, like when you reviewed the flower show. Oscar says, What was the matter with that? Myrna says, They smell good. Oscar (laughs) says, Well, they did. So now Oscar looks at the tickets and he reads the title, and that is where we get our first clip.
0: I never saw a mockingbird that laughed at a painted dog. A musical fable by Bryce Longfellow. I can't even understand the tickets.
4: So I need
0: more aggravation write a bad review and then he'll fire me am I going to
4: find
0: a sucker that I could turn into doing this for me the odd couple was filmed in front of a live audience you know Felix I was looking fondly at that thank you picture you gave me and I thought all the things you do for me you, look, you cook for me, you clean for me all I do is complain and make trouble for you. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to appreciate you from now on.
1: I don't know what to say, you big galoot. Look, don't
4: say
0: anything. Just let me sit here and hate myself. I'm going to stop making it up right now. Look, I got tickets for us for the theater tonight.
1: Oh, I can't go. Why not? I've got a date with Miriam tonight. We're you going. You know us. We're the now generation. We don't make plans. We go, baby.
4: We swing.
0: Well, see, these are tickets for an opening tonight. Yeah, but as
1: I said, I, I've got a date. I can't go. Hey, why didn't you
0: take Miriam with Wind- oh, you? no, home? no, no! I could. Oh, please no. let me do it for you. Then I won't hate myself so much. Please, buddy.
4: <laughs>
0: I'm so ashamed. You're a, you're a real person. You know that. I want you to enjoy yourself and look at everything very closely. I want to share it with you. Okay? I'll tell you all about it when I get home. Yeah, and make sure you come home before midnight, why? Well, it's very dangerous out there after it. midnight. I worry about
4: it.
1: You. You're a cat, you know? That? Hey, I better call Miriam and tell her, yeah. okay? Eat your broccoli, Yeah. You spilled something in your time. Use your
2: napkin. Eat your dinner. It's going to get cold. So some visuals in there. Uh, When Oscar asks, where am I going to find a sucker? He's taking the darts out of the picture. And then he starts looking adoringly at the picture and realizes that Felix is the sucker. That slapping sound that we hear is Felix slapping Oscar's neck hard four times every time he's grateful for what Oscar's saying. And at the end, Oscar has a dart in his shirt pocket. And when Felix tells me his dinner, Felix's back is to him because he's calling Miriam and Oscar takes it out as pretending to throw it at Felix. Felix turns around and Oscar quickly uses the dart to pick up some food uh, to eat. And Felix has a confused look.
3: It's Ted, it's kind of risky to walk around with a dart in your pocket, I would imagine.
2: Uh, yeah, it was fa- It was pin side down. It probably does damage <laughs> to his shirt pocket, but I don't think he cares. Yes. So the next scene, Oscar's playing cards in, on his desk. He's clearly impatiently waiting for Felix to come home. He checks his watch. Felix walks in. Oscar, in a very annoyed tone, annoyed tone says, it's 1130. Where have you been? and felix looks at him confused and he takes a beat before saying i've been to the theater this reminds me of the same beat felix took last week when he sees murray standing next to him or not last week two weeks ago for the dink award no last week oh yeah with the dink award that same sort of pause (laughs) where where he's confused oscar says the show broke two hours ago felix says so we went out for a bite to eat and that leads to this next clip
4: who said
0: go to the sea What's wrong with you? I paid for the food. <laughs> Listen, how, how'd you like to play? What do you mean? Why do you How do you write? <laughs> Felix, it's a quarter to twelve. I don't want to talk here. Well, come in. Does you think it's fair? A hmm? man spends years writing a musical fable. You go... I mean, don't you think you ought to embellish it? Shouldn't you have more respect for the artist? Respect for the artist? Yeah. Last time I took you to the theater, you went
1: (laughs) to Helen Hayes.
4: Well, a man can change. I love her now. I
0: want to get some culture. Will you tell me about it? Well, I thought the part of the alcoholic
1: nephew... Yeah. It's very well portrayed by Verna... Verna who?
0: Verna Klemperer. Verna Monroe. Verna Verna who? Verna Smith. Verna Smith? Smith. All right, right, now the drugstore's closed. (laughs) I want to know all about the play, and I want you to sum it up in one paragraph and fast. One paragraph? Yes.
1: Well, it's like Oklahoma, Oklahoma, only it uses symbolism to tell the story Oklahoma, of America's symbolism. growth. Yeah, yes. Oklahoma, America's I school. particularly like the use of six dwarfs to represent New Jersey. All the city. six <laughs> dwarfs in New Jersey. I thought that was very clever. Trenton got two standing
0: ovations. Two <laughs> of Trenton, six dwarfs yeah. in New Jersey and Oklahoma. The scenery similar. was, huh? was what? Was what? What was it? Striking. Striking scene. Striking scene. You got six dwarfs and you got The yeah, lyrics yeah. were saucy. Saucy lyrics. Saucy lyrics. And yeah. I thought the acting had both verve and
4: panache.
0: So going to Thank you very much. <laughs> Good night, fella. Copy desk. Yeah. Hi, Frank. This is Oscar. Yeah, I just got back from the show. Well, I stopped to have a bite to eat. Okay, here it comes. Oklahoma, move over. Last night, saucy lyrics flowed from Bryce Longfellow's pen in what may prove to be the surprise hit of the season. The acting had uh, verve and panache.
2: So, first of all, Felix gave the, gave the show a meh, and now yeah. Oscar's turning into a rave.
3: Yeah, yeah, I guess he liked it more than he let on.
2: Um, or is Oscar misinterpreting?
3: Well, good thing for Oscar is it doesn't really matter. It doesn't right? really matter,
2: yes. <laughs> he just has to deliver something. So when Felix is giving his review, they are in the bathroom while Felix yes. is brushing his teeth and right. taking nose drops. Is this right. the first time mm-hmm. we've actually been in the bathroom for a scene, or am I forgetting a not scene? The
3: first, no, 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 no.
2: Okay. Other bathroom scenes,
3: not counting season one.
2: Yes, right, where, not counting season right,
3: one. Right in the current set. Uh, I believe we had Felix watering his plants in the bathroom when uh, they, the, when the Glory moves in. When they had to pretend they're still
2: married. Oh, okay. Um, All right, let me rephrase the question. Is this <laughs> the first time we've seen them using the bathroom in any this way? Ex,
3: I think this extensively. Okay. <clears throat> after season one. And uh, by the way, no, no bedroom scenes in this episode. So they've chosen to oh, use
2: right. the, the bathroom,
3: bathroom. <laughs> instead of their bedroom sets we're at a, in a you know you know in on a set where they have to make those kinds of choices you know for budget reasons so interesting
2: uh, felix is shirtless during the entire episode <laughs> um and when felix says good night fella he's take he's talking into the mirror and he's flexing in kind of an old school <laughs> charles Atlas. he's talking to himself uh, yeah he's kind of doing a charles atlas type of pose yeah
3: yeah it's uh, again
2: it's a, it's kind of, you know,
3: feel, Tony Randall likes to take a shirt off. He has since season one, uh, but he is in very good shape for a 50, 51, a 40 year old man. Oh no, it's 40. Oh, no. 40. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, of course that. Yeah. Uh, as are we. So, uh, so, uh, you know, who can blame him, but it is interesting that the show indulges that but it kind of it, it, works it works because it's part of his vanity it's feeling yes. his vanity yeah yeah and uh it is also again pointing out a contrast between the two characters that oscar does not take care of himself uh and i i like how johnny randall kind of embraces you know the the uh you know is willing to make fun of himself now, you know?
2: so the next scene oscar hey, wait a minute wait, oh, sorry. Wait, wait, yes, uh, yes yes
3: um we just have to note that the way oscar Pieces together the review in his head, listening yeah. to Felix is really great.
4: It is, or isn't it?
3: I mean, that's Klugman. That is kind of basically ad-living. You know, it's like, it doesn't have to be, he's just repeating things that the lines that Tony Randall is saying and putting them in the review. And and it's so funny that Felix just take, takes no notice of right. how odd that is that he'd be repeating it that way. And I just want to say, like, the when he then goes and phones it in, that, that that is a big part of theater critic lore, was you guys, this is like, like, like sports writers, right? I guess it's the other kind of journalist who's really on deadline all the time because uh, the theater gets out late and the review is expected the next, for the next morning's paper. Uh, today, they have more previews that critics can go to and they have a couple of days before the official opening. But our, our critics went on opening night and the, the review is expected the next day and they would phone it in to, to copy desk it's, if they couldn't make it to the, uh, the actual uh, office to type it. And there are even stories, I've heard stories of critics like phoning it from the uh, t- the box office phone in the theater. You know, they've just got to like s- put, write it out and then, or even talk it off the top of their heads. So that's the kind of accurate way of how a lot of play reviews were written. In this Why
2: couldn't they bring the laptop to like <laughs> Starbucks? I know. I know. It does show us that, you know, it does show the the superpower, if you will, that Oscar has as a journalist to kind of take, what Felix says in a few sentences right. and turned it into a. to a Right. It's nice article. to see that he's
3: actually, he's actually good at his job. Yes,
2: it is. <laughs> Anything more you want to say about the scene no. before we, Okay. No, no so idea. the next scene, Oscar walks into the office. Myrna's reading the review and she's saying out loud, Panache. Oscar says, <laughs> What are you doing? Felix says, Just reading. I mean, sorry. Myrna says, Just reading your theater review. Oscar says, You've already read it eight times. Myrna says, I know. I love it. It's so well written. Oscar says, I know. Myrna says, how does it feel sitting in the theater knowing you're going to review the play? Oscar says, I don't want to talk about it. I said I could do it. I proved I could, so I don't want to talk about it. Let's drop it, okay? The phone rings. Myrna answers it. Mr. Madison's office? Yes, sir. Mr. Madison's office? Yes, sir. She covers the phone with her hand and says, it's the boss. Oscar picks up the phone and says, and here's a good trivia question, if we ever do trivia. Mm. Yes, Mr. Williams. <clears throat> that's, that's I'm sure name.
3: that name has not been consistent. <laughs> I don't think he's ever
2: referred given to an editor by yeah, name. It's the first time.
3: Except maybe for season one. He, there's that one episode where he, um, I guess it's the one where he quits to work for S- pseudo Playboy magazine. And he has, Ed Platt plays his uh, editor. Oh, his
2: boss. Ba- okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, he says, yes, Mr. Williams. Well, thank you very much. Well, I'm glad. Yes, sir. I'm glad. Very glad you enjoyed it. And then that leads to our third quote.
0: Yeah but yeah but, yeah,
4: but... yeah, but...
0: Whatever pleases you, sir. Thank you. you loved it? So much, I'm gonna be doing it for the next three weeks till the regular critic gets back.
5: Oh, boy, am I proud. A theater critic. Now I can hold my head up high at the water cooler. <laughs> What's
0: Up to now you were ashamed of me?
4: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Can I trust you?
4: Miss Stan, don't say anything that'll diminish you in my eyes. Don't forget it. Good, you're not diminished. Stop
1: the presents. <laughs> uh,
4: what are I you doing?
1: Just came by to take you to lunch. You too, Erna? Well, I wanted to thank you for those wonderful theater tickets last oh, night. Oh, well, don't mention that. Did you go to the play with Miss
0: Sam? Yeah, well,
1: he didn't He didn't go. I took Miriam. <laughs> Boy, am I hungry. Let's go, huh? He didn't go to
4: the theater No, well, no,
1: I think he's sorry, because he asked me a million questions about it. Was he interested?
4: You know, I
0: just remembered we have a lot of work to do. You just said you're hungry. Well, I am hungry, so why don't you go down to Kelly's? You water for us, okay? And then we'll be down just in time you mad at me? No! <laughs> at me. No!
1: Somebody's mad at
4: me! <laughs> what are you looking at? Feet of clay. Feet of clay. Leave me
0: alone, I was desperate.
5: What are you going to do? Keep sending Miss Donga to the theater for you?
0: Why not? He loves it.
5: It's dishonest. Why don't you tell him the truth? Ask him to help.
0: Are you crazy and getting one of Felix's famous three-hour lectures? Pride goeth before a fall. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. And then for his big finish, now I know your true colors, Oscar. And then he ends up not doing it anyway. No, sir, this is going to be our little secret now. Okay. Okay.
5: You know, Miss Dem, I've been typing up your column for five years, and that's the best
0: thing you've ever written. <laughs> Too bad you didn't write it. <laughs> I should have known from Paner.
2: Will you go already? Do you have anything to say about that? It's a good scene. I just don't have anything to add before I describe what happens next. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> that's yeah. It's, I want I That's why I started the scene there because I I love the way he does that.
3: I would say that it's uh, you realize that Myrna has to be a part of this episode. So it's a good thing they went ahead and just showed it anyway. But it uh, makes you I was just thinking how, you know, one of the things, maybe one of the projects we could pursue after uh, we get to the end is uh, maybe there is an ideal order to watch the episodes in. That is in not necessarily the order they aired or the like a combination in some cases order they aired in some cases the order they were written would make an ideal viewing order like this should be at the this should belong to season four this should be like the last episode of season four
2: really for instance why not start season five what's the difference between ending season oh four and
3: well i guess five? so as long as it's before she gets married oh but, yes
2: yes of course but it,
3: i don't know
2: next scene is a montage of felix going to theater and also a big fuck you to Miriam. <laughs> this is very strange yes so first so we see felix going to different plays because oscar's giving him tickets to all these openings and he takes a different girl to every play the first scene (laughs) he has a young very young girl on his arm maybe half his age which of course is foreshadowing for tony randall's real life when he married his 30 year old wife this girl looks 24 25 I did, I did not get a good look i'll, I'll have to uh, it's really weird she looks and i assume they're young. not credit i assume they're not credit no credit. i see no credits yeah. so we see him and her walking on on the run in new york uh where greece is playing at the time at the royale theater now called the bernard jacobs theater on 45th street so they're walking i don't think they're seeing greece obviously because he's right. going off broadway mm-hmm. openings but he's walking on the street in, the, in a very recognizable theater ambiance. So we know he's going to the theater with this very young girl. In the background, there is a crowd of people clearly watching them filming. Mm-hmm. Then we feel, see Felix standing in front of a sign on a, on a, that's standing on a pole that says tonight at 8 p.m. He's waiting for another date. And then a redhead <laughs> who I, we don't get a sense of her face, but just by her overall being, she also oh. feels very young. And she comes to meet him and is her date. Then we see him exiting a theater with another date. This one's a little bit older, maybe 30s, maybe early 40s. She's very flashy looking, blonde, kind of 70s. Very flashy. Not She's not the buttoned up Melanie Miriam mm-hmm. no. edu- intellectual looking woman we usually see Felix with. She's very flashy, uh, bordering on trashy. (laughs) He's also writing on something, on a ticket envelope, which Mm. is weird. It looks like he's signing an autograph. And you do see the crowd behind him Mm. staring at Mm. them because they see Tony Randall filming.
3: I wonder whether, you know, they could have done these shots if they, they taped this in late spring of 1974 perhaps knowing that it wasn't going to air for a while maybe they they did the added these shots over the summer while tony was back in new york
2: oh that could be You're right uh, didn't have to film them at the same they can film them anytime
3: yeah uh, uh yeah this is very strange right because they make a point they mention they they bring up miriam in they bring miriam into the episode yeah by saying he's going to take her to the theater and he's about to kind of call her and ask her and how hard would it have been to just the, for some reason, they did not bring Eleanor Donahue into this episode. She does no. not appear in the episode. Right when they, which also makes me think that for some she was not available for some reason when they needed to do inserts or wanted to do inserts, and they decided maybe to make a joke of the fact that he brings a different girl to every play. I mean, as a way like that's why he's enjoying it so much. I don't know.
2: I that but makes it's also, sense.
3: It's also something you're right. It's like if I, I, we don't know how Miriam feels about that.
2: No, I mean, I think over. We have to assume by now that Miriam is okay with this loosey Goosey relationship. They have a kind of, and maybe and she wants it. Maybe right. she's not that interested in him. Right. Maybe she dates plenty of other guys. We never see that. What a spin-off that would! be. I would say right. there, we there never was a Miriam spinoff. <laughs> so now we're back in the apartment. Felix is in the kitchen. He's in his orange robe, making breakfast. Oscar comes out into the living room in his pajamas. He says, "Good morning, old buddy." Hey, listen, before I forget, I want to give you your theater tickets for this evening. Felix says, say, I'm not so sure I want to go to the theater tonight. Oscar says, what are you talking about? You love the theater. Felix says, yeah, but every night for two weeks in a row. Oscar says, it's only for one more week. That's all. Felix says, how come? Oscar says, well, you know, the guy has been giving us the tickets, he's dying. Who knows how many more <laughs> openings you're going to have, you're going to be invited they to. They have
3: used this excuse way too many times to, even for it to be,
2: Funny, stupid funny. (laughs) Felix says, Yeah, I guess you're right. By the way, not asking anything about this man who's dying. (laughs) Says, yeah, I guess you're right. I've seen some good shows though. Oscar says, You sure have. So now Felix has brought breakfast to the table and says, like the one that opened Wednesday night, the musical version of the Lewis Schmelling fight. It was really good. (laughs) So I had to look up what this is. Ah, yeah. So there were two famous fights between Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling, 1936 and 1938. And they both took on a much bigger meaning in, in the world culture of the time between the depression and the Nazi rise to power. Sports apparently was one of the big few outlets that people could kind of get involved in that took their mind off the depression and Schmeling was German and Nazis were coming to power. So the 1936 and Joe black, Lewis was black That uh, Joe was black too. Yes. Uh, 1936, both fights took place at Yankee Stadium. In 1936, it was listened to by 57 million people on radio. Schmeling won by a knockout in round 12. Langston Hughes, who was at the fight, said he saw people crying on the street when he was leaving. Germany was thrilled, and Hitler sent congratulations. By 1938, Germany was using Schmeling for propaganda, and his publicist who worked for the Nazis said a black man could not defeat Max Schmeling. And that his winnings would go toward building German tanks. So they go to Yankee Stadium again. Celebrities in attendance included Clark Gable, Douglas Fairbanks, Gary Cooper, Gregory Peck, Jager Hoover. This is a big deal. 70 million people listen on the radio. But in in less than three minutes in round one, Lewis won in a knockout. Yep. And they became very close friends later. After the war, yeah. Uh, after the war, when Joe Lewis was particularly on hard times, um, Schmeling gave him money, yeah. and they did stuff together.
3: It, it is indeed a momentous—the uh, two fights together—and a momentous event in the era of sports. You know, there. I remember recordings. I've heard the record. You can hear the radio broadcast of those fights. Uh, uh, so it's, that's a great piece of nostalgia. On the other hand, I am not aware of it ever being turned into a piece of musical theater. I believe it's fake. <laughs> we know that, that,
2: that this show likes to make obscure boxing make up, references. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing I remember well from season one is when Oscar meets Nancy. Oh, he, right. He falls for her because he she's looking at the pictures of right, right. the boxers on the wall. And in fact, one
3: would think what an ideal show if Oscar were to review a play this would be a
2: good one yes. for him to review. Right, song. he should have gone to that. That's right. <laughs> Oscar says, I thought you hated that, the play. Felix says, well, I've been thinking it over. There was one song in there that I like a lot, My Glass Jaw. <laughs> it was really good. I liked it. It's too bad the show closed. Oscar says, well, what's the matter with you? If you liked it, why didn't you say so? Felix says, I'm saying mm-hmm. so now. I'm saying so. Now I want to ask you something. He picks up the newspaper, the Daily Herald, and says, who is your off-Broadway critic Oscar says "Hmm?" Felix says his column is never signed now the easy answer to that is that well he does he likes to go incognito so he can write the play and just not be but he says well he doesn't like publicity see he's shy he's a fat guy with a mustache (laughs) which is a complete reference to what happened last week even though they have not made that episode right yes maybe they remembered
3: that line now when writing uh, bigger, they, they
2: remember out. that, but they can't remember where the picture's from.
3: <laughs> or they just think fat guys and mustaches are fun.
2: Um, Felix says, well, he, sh- um, well, he shouldn't be. He's brilliant. This man is brilliant. Remember last night when I came home, you asked me what I thought. I said, I thought the show was pathetic. I called it stale, flat, and unprofitable. Listen to this. Last night's effort was regrettably pathetic. To me, it was stale, flat, and unprofitable. It's a very perceptive critic, Oscar says, yeah, well, you like him because he agrees with you. That's all. Felix says, well, that's good enough, isn't it? Oscar says, yeah, well, I'm going to go shave, OK? Felix says, you didn't eat your eggs. Oscar says, oh, yeah, I'll make a sandwich. He grabs a piece of toast. He takes his hands. He puts eggs and bacon on top of it and walks out. <clears throat> Felix, of course, is disgusted, says, look at what he's doing. How can you live that way? Then the phone rings and Felix picks it up. Man, by the means- way, "stale,
3: flat, and unprofitable" is a line from Hamlet. So that's really? where
2: Felix got that's where Felix got it. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So here's what happens after Felix picks up the phone.
1: Hello. No, I'm sorry, Oscar's busy right now. Could I take a message? Do you want his review in by eleven fifteen tonight. All right. I'll tell him. Fine. No, come on, in. Hey. Shaving, huh? Yeah. What is it? Had a phone call. Take a message? Yeah, yeah. Who it? Your editor? Ah! Oh. ah. You hey, cut yourself, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want? Little change in plans. So? He wants your review in by 11.15 tonight.
0: You want to hear a funny story that happened to the newspaper too? I know
1: what happened! <laughs> I thought you could make some extra money by conning your roomie into doing reviews for you.
0: Money had nothing to do oh, with really? it. you're not getting extra money for this? Yeah, I'm getting a yeah, little yeah, bit. But yeah, yeah. A, no, see, the editor asked me to do it, then it became a challenge. I had to same face at the paper. Uh,
1: uh, Oscar,
0: pride goeth before a
4: fall.
0: <laughs> Here comes the lecture. Felix, I was only supposed to do it once, but mm-hmm. well, my first review was so uh, good... Uh, wait, excuse me. Your first review? Okay, uh, your first review. Yeah, yeah, yeah So they yeah. asked me to do it three times for three weeks. Well, how can I say no? Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Will you cut it out? It wasn't easy for me. Trying to make coherent paragraphs out of your opinion? Excuse me,
1: my opinions are incoherent? That's right. This from a man who leaves a sandwich on the soap? It's a clean place, isn't it? You used me, Oscar! You picked my brain! Oh, now I know your true colors. Okay, now you had your big finish. Oscar, why didn't you come to me and tell me the truth? Would you have done it if I did? No, I would not. That's why I gave you another look at my true colors. So you gave your roommate that hokey story about doing him a favor, huh? Well, stop the gravy train. Here's where little Felix gets off. From now on, you can sling your own hatch, starting tonight. Oh,
0: yeah. Who oh, needs you? I learned a lot in the last two weeks. I got to review this thing by myself. <laughs> a revival. Comulus the mute by Jean Anulu. No, I can't even pronounce the tickets.
2: So the music sting that we hear at the beginning after Felix hangs up the phone is Felix realizing what the phone call means. Um now we see Oscar using the bathroom. So yes same bathroom so i think we've had some questions yeah. back and forth how many two bathrooms, bathrooms right uh and i think we now know there's one
3: although to be fair once i believe oscar once said there's several bathrooms but only one of them works
2: oh he did <laughs> say that, that. <laughs> right but that and was I,
3: three years ago you think they'd have it fixed but
2: also i guess they could use the same bathroom theoretically because it's a larger bathroom i guess but um So when we first see him, he is shaving. He's got the sandwich in his mouth when he's shaving, (laughs) the the egg sandwich. And then we do see a close-up of the sandwich on the soap. One of the things that's been one of my silliest nitpicks about anything in The Odd Couple is I want him to say, I can't even pronounce the tickets. And he doesn't say pronounce that way. He says pronounce in a way that doesn't emphasize it. The way like he, he doesn't say pronounce the way I want him to say pronounce. He just says, I can't pronounce the tickets or you mean he emphasizes ticket. He emphasizes pronounce, but not announce. Oh. He I think he emphasizes the pro. He just says it in a way <laughs> he's supposed to be saying now he can't pronounce the tickets as opposed to before we couldn't understand the tickets. And I but, just always wish he said, oh, pronounce. I see because the, it's a, it follows up on the previous
3: joke. Yes. Like, I can't, can't understand the ticket. How yeah. am I going to understand the show? Yeah. And now I can't even pronounce the ticket. Yeah,
2: exactly. He doesn't say- And he should say, he should
3: say it like that.
2: Yes, he just like that. Exactly, that's right. It's uh, like he forgot there was a previous joke. He forgot the first joke. Or he just said it in a way that he said it and they took yeah. that take. Now, I always assumed Humulus the Mute was a fake play. But no. it turns out it is a real play, yes. a French play by. Now I'm going to try to pronounce this. You probably will do it better. It's not written 1948. I listened to a YouTube um, pronunciation of this. Jean Anouli.
3: is that right? Very close, very close. Jean Ennui is oh. the way I I've grew up
2: knowing him. Uh, by not by not the honest. way, you're the only person, yeah, participating or listening to this podcast who grew up knowing anything about him <laughs> well ted i'll tell
3: you one reason why yes you may i believe it has been established for the record here yes is it not true yes it's not true mr linhart <laughs> yes that you and i went to high school
2: together it is true
3: we were at the same high school at the same time yes well do you recall that uh i was in a play uh they did, we did school plays sometimes for, i don't think you were in any of the school plays but i was in some of the school plays we did in school, and one play was a play by said playwright Jean Anouilh. What was that? Antigone. He wrote a his own version
2: of Antigone, a oh, Greek tragedy. No, I did not. I did not remember there you, you being in that. <laughs> uh, uh, Can now,
3: I wait? Can I, I? you have more? on well, I just topic? I, I tr-
2: yeah. try to find a synopsis of it. I don't know what right. it's about. Do you? no and
3: that is how obscure this is this reference this is amazing very impressive um uh now i wouldn't blame you for assuming it's made up because the first play is made up right i never i never promised it a I,
2: rose no well
3: it's i think it's a parody Yeah, i think the title is parodying i never promised you a rose garden which was turns out i looked that up it turns out it was a not never a play it was a novel and a film um but i think that's made up this one though is for real now jean ennui is not a household, <laughs> certainly not a household name even amongst theater fans today but his he was a french playwright uh he his plays had, were very much in vogue in the 50s on broadway but like he, he wrote these plays he wrote in the 30s 40s and 50s and a lot of his plays were translated in english and, and were very well regarded on broadway in the 50s and 60s which is pretty much the era of the tony randall you know came to New York and, and learned so much about theater. So it's, this is clearly a Tony Randall joke.
2: Definitely, definitely. I
3: was gonna, that's no what one, I have in No one else on the show would no. know. The, and it, Because it's not just, maybe some people in 1974 would know John Ennui because he, some of his plays did become more famous. However, this play is so obscure that I had only known it from this episode and I never even bothered researching it until this morning. And you're right. It is so obscure. It is very hard, not impossible, very hard to find a plot synopsis. And it never performed in New York, uh, at least not until more recent times, like in amateur productions or college productions. It's never never been on Broadway, never had a New York professional productions from what I know. Uh, So if Tony Mandel knew the play, he would have known it in French or having seen it in France, perhaps.
2: Well, you're saying not Uh, impossible, which means...
3: I did find it through how my my graduate school trained research skills ted have finally paid off for this podcast and Um, i just you know i was able through google books to find some old reference books that and it is a uh it's one of jean ennui's first plays he wrote and it was never even performed then he wrote he published it and it's more of a skit i always thought it was this tragedy because like some sad quasimodo kind of thing and it turns out First of all, the title is Humulus, H-U-M. Yes, U-M- right. yes I, that, I, S- that I discovered. So that might be Jack Klugman again, mispronouncing me. And it is, I can sum it up very quickly. It's like a sketch. It's about a mute. Well, he's not totally mute. He has, for some comedic reason, he can say one word a day. And he, but he wants to propose to this woman. So he saves up for a month, saves up, because apparently if he saved, he's mute most of the, all day, he will, have a carryover kind of, and so finally the climax of this very short play, which is like more like a skit, he he finally saves up for thirty days and gives her a very long proposal, and then it turns out she's deaf.
2: Oh, it's like
3: a Twilight Zone episode. Kind of, yeah, actually. Well, how does uh, how does <laughs> I don't know oh, okay. the logic of it. It's yeah. considered actually an absurdist, very yeah. surrealist kind of comedy. Uh-huh. Which is that's interesting. You mentioned Twilight Zone. Yeah, it kind of is a very surrealist take, um, and it's it was only known by uh, people who were on the. It's very it was considered very avant garde at, at its time. So this, I'm finally after knowing about John Ennui for more than three decades. I'm glad I finally put solved this piece of the puzzle.
2: Interesting, you say it's never been formed because here they call it a revival.
3: Well, technically, I guess it would be a revival in the sense that it's an older play. It was written in nineteen
2: 48, 48 is what I found. Well,
3: well, there are different, yeah, I know, but uh, or published then. He wrote it, I don't know. It's in dispute. Okay. But it's, it's certainly, it is not a new play. So I guess technically I would give them a pass. on.
2: But how does it, does a revival mean it has been played and now for is uh, being played again? Te-
3: it, 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 every time you do a, a play that is not original, like a classic, it's temp. I think you can get away with calling it a revival, even if it it, it might have been its New York premiere.
2: Okay. All right. The next scene, Oscar's reading a book at his desk in the living room while Felix is vacuuming. Felix has a look of being aggrieved. Oscar says, well, you cut it out. I'm trying to read the play. So he has now gotten an English language <laughs> copy of the <laughs> well, play. Well, it did somehow. exist That
3: I believe there are an English
2: translation available at that point. Yeah. So he went to the theater bookshop, which was you'd around you have then. to, right? Yeah, you'd have no Amazon, right? uh felix says say i've got a wonderful idea why don't you just go to the opening night like all the other reviewers oscar says why does it have to be humulus the moot why can't it be damn yankees why couldn't it be damn yankees all right felix come on let's put our cards on the table how much money do you want to write this review which leads to this next clip oh
0: boy are you crude okay i'm crude i'm desperate so i'm crude i don't want to be left off the paper tough toenails <laughs> paper. I'll confess every. Knock it off. Yeah, six or seven years. Maybe I'll be able to live it down. But I'll tell you one thing that I really regret: the paper not getting your reviews. Nobody gives reviews like you, Felix. Tell it to the Marines. You should see the fuss they made over every one of your reviews. editor, yeah. please. Yeah, the publisher himself called me to congratulate me. He said the reviews reminded him of George Jean Nathan. That's very interesting. I, I
1: patterned my style after George Jean Nathan. <laughs>
0: I don't want to see you lose that power. Yeah, but now, Mr, yeah, hang yeah. hey, hey. wait a minute. What... what power? Oh, come on, Felix. Surely, you know now that your word is law that you are now a taste maker. I'm a taste maker. You have the power of life and death. Well, that's
1: terrible, why? That show that opened Wednesday that I didn't like until Saturday. It closed Thursday. I put thirty-seven actors out of work. Yeah, but you did oh, I'm it so sick. beautifully. Oh, I'm I'm what well, about the
0: show you reviewed two weeks ago? A hundred actors. That's still running because of your review. Yeah. Sure. That's what thirty-seven actors from hundred. You're sixty-three actors ahead. Yeah. They even put your review up in lights, bright and bouncy. New York Herald. Really? Sure. That's my bright and bouncy. Of course it is.
1: But that—that's not very ethical, is it? Isn't? Isn't that defrauding the public?
0: You well, see, that'll be our little secret. Yeah.
1: What do you say? Come on, Mr. First-Nighter. Oh Come on, you know me, I'm a sucker for art. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players and I can put them all out of work.
2: So I'm sure you'll have more to say, but um, I will say that George G. Nathan was the preeminent theater cric- critic in the first half of the 20th century He's considered the the creator of modern drama criticism. He wrote for uh, a magazine that we don't know today, but was a leading arts magazine in the 20s called The Smart Set. He also wrote 40 books with a lot of his drama criticism in it. He was a man about town. I think he's kind of what Tony Randall Mm -hmm. aspired to be in a way or was, Um, and Felix. He lived in the Royalton Hotel. He had his own table at 21. He was a regular at the Stork Club. He dated plenty of people like Lillian Gish was a person, a notable person he dated. He died in 1958. He had an award created after him. He was known for liking very little theater, but supporting stuff he liked to a very strong degree. He called his style of criticism destructive. Um, And I don't think he's well known today, but he is, Really considered the dean of theatrical he was the most famous
3: theater critic of that uh, era and uh, mainly for being kind of a snob I mean being kind of a proud snob and not as you indicated right he's not he's not a uh, uh, someone you expect to get a four star review from every time Uh, and he was kind of credited with raising the bar on expectations of serious drama
2: for Broadway so yeah he pretty much said it all good work I wonder how many people watching the show, first of all, watching the show today, I'm assuming most people do not yeah. know that name, but even in the 74, he was dead yeah. almost yeah, 20 years I by know. then. Yeah, yeah
3: I, I think, you know, his reviews were mostly read and had the most impact probably in the third. I know he was, he was involved. He was uh, way responsible for Eugene O'Neill's uh, fame at, at his peak in the 20s and 30s. After the forties, he would not be as relevant, but uh, his books were published. I mean, his reviews. So if you were a theater fan growing up in the fifties, you probably encountered his his reviews.
2: So now we're back on a New York city street scene. Felix walks out of the theater. We see Oscar waiting for him. Oscar says, why are you always the last one out of the theater? Felix says, you're waiting for me. I had to go to the bathroom. Oscar says, forget about it. Tell me about the play. Felix says, well, essentially a, oh, at this point, in, one, in a very meta moment, we see Neil Simon on screen walking with one of his daughters out of the same theater, I guess. Felix grabs him by the arm and says, look, it's Doc Simon, Neil Simon, the playwright. Oh, Doc Simon, I'm so excited. Neil Simon, the playwright. Neil Simon says, yes, that's me. Felix says, everyone who knows anything about him calls, doc, calls him Doc Simon. He starts to look for a pen and a paper in his pockets he hands neil simon a pen says i want your autograph i think i must have a thing to write on oh here just on this if you don't mind and he tears off a very tiny corner <laughs> of an index card that he i guess yes, he's yes, using yes. to take notes for the play right. probably and simon signs it i don't know why he i tore guess that's off the joke is that he makes it as hard as possible i guess so
3: and decide the thing and that's all he uh, gives him
2: And then Simon walks away with Felix's pen. Felix says, oh, you've got my (laughs) pen. You've got my pen, please. Oscar (laughs) says, well, you forget about the pen. It's not important, the pen. The play, I want you to tell me about the play. And Felix then again says, that's Doc Simon. Now, I believe this was edited out. I was reading online, people saying this was edited out of syndication.
3: Which would, yeah, I I remember. This is the scene I definitely
2: remember very well. So so that it couldn't have been edited out in the versions we saw.
3: In the, right. I mean, it maybe came and went, you know, depending on where you were watching it, but it would certainly be something you could cut. You could cut for time. But it, of all things to cut for time, it's like the one, the cameo by the guy who wrote The Odd Couple it would not be my choice. Um, there's a funny story behind this, which is that um, Gary Marshall, whenever he talks about the show, he makes a point of how much uh, they were worried that Neil Simon didn't. They were worried that Neil Simon would hate the TV show when they started. Back in season one, because he had no, he had signed a, un, unwittingly signed away any uh, rights involvement uh, with the TV show. He'd kind of signed away the rights to it, or at least didn't want to be involved with it either. Uh, he, I don't, I don't know the, the strange thing about whether he got how much profit he got on it. But anyway, he was bitter. He was just bitter about it being a TV show in the first place, and they wanted so badly his uh, blessing. And it turned out that it was Neil. They found out later Neil Simon's daughter one of his daughters was the one who started watching it on tv and told him dad it's actually pretty good
2: must and be the one was, maybe it's the one I, he's with
3: and i think so right because what gary marshall said is that eventually you know simon sent them a note saying hey it's actually pretty good and they had always wanted to find a way to get him a cameo on the show and then this this was it this was the opportunity and gary marshall said and of course we had to include his daughter because you know she's the one who got got uh, his attention for us so so that was something that Gary so, Marshall had been working toward
2: in in this world has neil simon written the odd couple <laughs> good question good question and say
3: huh you got felix did they introduce themselves i forget no, uh them? no yeah not like with bob hope um yeah that would be funny if they said their names and he uh actually but i guess that.
2: he has not correct
3: well, he did write a lot of other famous plays. Yes, right. Uh, so and, it's okay. So it's okay to pretend. They would still, Felix would still know recognize him.
2: And I, w- if not. I was trying to think of other TV shows or movies, I guess, mm. where the creator yeah. is in it as himself. Now, Alfred Hitchcock famously was in every movie as a cameo. So that's a little bit like this. Um, but I'm trying to think, like, I don't think Norman Lear was in anything as himself. I feel like there's something I'm forgetting.
3: It's almost as if if, you, if, if Warren Littlefield himself played Russell War. Daryl Wimble on Seinfeld.
2: <laughs> uh, no. it that. would have to be Larry David playing Larry David on Seinfeld. Oh, right. No, I, I feel like there's an example out there that I'm, I don't think, like, it has to be in a comic. I don't think Stephen Cannell yeah. played himself. I feel like there is a there is something I've seen over the years where it's very meta, and a character or I'm sorry a creator plays himself in the show. I just can't. Think, I feel like Jack Benny did something. Um, I, I, if people have examples of that, yeah, that they can think. That's of, interesting. Please write us. Write By the
3: way, in. another thing about this scene: it is filmed,
2: right? This is not yes, done on the. But stage. it's done well. It doesn't feel as it clunky. Is. I don't think
3: they have they have a laugh track. I,
2: I don't think I mean, it's a laugh track. No, that's right, one right. reason it doesn't yeah. feel clunky. Yeah. Yeah. But the audio and feels doesn't as dubbed, it doesn't feel as dubbed in as usual.
3: Yeah. And it's another, now I, you know, uh, uh, maybe this is another one of the New York location scenes they did. But uh, Neil Simon at this point was also very successful in Hollywood. And I think he, it's just as likely he could have been in Los Angeles also because um, he was writing a lot of screenplays at the time.
2: Yeah. So I don't know it, where they would have fund well, yeah, but I mean, it makes most sense to film but, him at yeah, the but, theater. Yeah, but. <sighs> yeah, but. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, actually, I'm looking up. So in 1975 at the time, as a writer. Four. Four. So 74, right, the end of 74. Um, spring but, of 74, this is. Well, yeah, sorry, it, yeah, it aired, it aired, <laughs> you're right, it aired. So uh, in 1974, I'm just looking to find out what he was involved with. Prisoner of Second Avenue as a movie was coming out soon in 75. The Oddball Couple cartoon was coming out in 75.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. More about that later. Yeah.
2: And The Sunshine Boys was coming out. Um, and Plaza Suite had been out. So, yeah, he was Heartbreak Kid. So he was really mm-hmm. one of the it people in Hollywood at the time.
3: Yeah. And all of his plays, almost all of his plays, were being made into films uh, and, in some cases, TV shows. So, yeah.
2: So the next scene, Felix is at Oscar's desk typing at Oscar's office, not Oscar's desk at home in the office. Oscar comes in and says, what are you doing here? Felix says, "I'm writing some Sunday articles on theater. That way, after the regular guy comes back, you and I will still be in the paper. I don't know why he thinks that's a <laughs> strange idea. Yeah. Oscar grabs the paper out of the typewriter, but there's a small mistake here at first, because at first, when he grabs it, he only rips off a corner. He's trying to grab the whole piece of paper out of the typewriter. and He has to do that twice. Oscar says, your reviewing days are over. You're finished. You're washed up. Felix asks why. Oscar says, the paper wants me to appear on television as a representative on a panel discussion about theater. And Felix says, well, that's a great idea. Oscar says, are you crazy? I can't go on there. I'll make a jackass of myself. Felix says, that's right. You would. I'll go on for you. Oscar says, Mm -hmm. what good would that do? Remember, my editor knows what I look like. I'll just have to call the paper and tell everybody the truth. That's all. Felix says, what a rotten break. Just when I was getting hot. Oscar yes. says, "Look who's upset! I'm going to be the laughing stock of the whole paper industry." Felix says, "No more opening nights. No more bright and bouncy." Oscar says, "I'm going to have to change cities." Felix says, "Who would have thought my song would end so soon?" Oscar says, "Felix, will you cut it out?" Felix starts to leave, and when he's leaving, there's a music cut here. Yeah. He starts to sing, "Give my regards to Broadway," which is cut oh. out of the of the Paramount Plus wow. version. We have I didn't the,
3: notice that, but I remember now. Yes.
2: Thanks to one of our great listeners, we have that audio restored, and we will play that for you. When he leaves, he turns around suddenly, and he puts like his his hand on top of his head, uh, an open faced hand, holding it over his head. And somehow, Oscar, I never understood how Oscar figures out that that means a light bulb over his head. And Felix has an idea. We'll we'll hear Oscar say that. Uh, but I, I want to say what the visual is ahead of time. So here's the clip with the music uh, restored cut. Uh, the re- music cut restored back. It's
1: out. Give my regards to
0: girl. Remember me the Light bulb. You got an idea? What is it? Are
1: you desperate enough to go along with the stupidest, worst, silliest idea I ever
0: had? Do I have to wear a dress? No, that'll do it.
2: So I'm glad Felix acknowledges this is silliest because <laughs> yes. it really is. Yes. Um, yes. So the next scene, we're on the set of a TV show, the TV show Oscar is talking about. We can see it's called Speak Out because there's a placard on the table. It's basically a round table discussion. Literally, there's a round table we see uh five people six people sitting at the table uh the host is john barber who was a real person playing himself he was a canadian actor who started to make talk show appearances comedically he was on merv griffin and dean martin he hosted a local show in la in 1971 he's most famous today for those who are old enough to remember real people he was one of the Real People. Yeah, was that kind of
3: like a reality show. America's like America's Funniest Home Video kind of show. It was, it was
2: it was it was a every week they would profile real people in the country who were doing interesting things. They either had an interesting hobby oh, or okay. they had some interesting thing happen to them or they were quirky people who oh. they would interview. And it I kind remember
3: the title I just forget what it was.
2: Had yeah. Skip Stevenson and Sarah Purcell Byron Allen who's now like a huge multi hundred millionaire sure. media person was on it. You know, it was the era of That's incredible right remember that right. and real people. Yeah. So it's kind of this era of, te- of, of of like the early days of reality television. Right. And this guy was the host of that. He was a host. There was a hey. new there well, he was a he was a contributor. There the, yeah. So uh um, correspondent. Correspondent is a, is another way of mentioning it. Uh, he's still around today. He's most recently made documentaries about the JFK assassination.
4: What?
2: And then there's three guests that he will introduce. Uh, I just want to cover their, um, re- these are real theater critics who are yes. playing themselves and let's just cover them now. And then we'll play the whole scene later. So first is John Simon and you'll hear he was uh, he sounds a little bit like um uh, the guy who plays Boris, the opera singer, <laughs> got that. You know who I'm talking about? The guy wears the Wait, cape. In, the, in who the we're gonna see in Roy Clark. Yeah. Uh. Oh right. He hasn't come up yet. Yeah. He hasn't. Come okay. Up so uh, he had he's for, he's he's from Serbia. So he's a bit of an accent. He moved to the U.S. His name I always was confused because he has this accent, but his name is John Simon, and apparently they kind of Americanized his name. Americanized he Americanized his name. Yeah. He moved to the U.S. in in uh, when he was 16. He went to Horace Mann, one of our
4: Rival, rival schools, schools. schools.
2: He went to Harvard, where he was hired by Lillian Hellman to translate a play by Jean Anouilh. As I told you, he
3: was very popular. Actually, that sounds to me like he ghost wrote it because she, yes, yeah, she she was a translator of one of his plays, and she probably didn't know enough French, so she got him to help. Me
2: and he wrote a lot of reviews for many entertainment magazines. But his home base for 36 years, and I remember reading mm-hmm. him growing up, was yes. New York Magazine, yes. where he wrote. Uh, the he was a theater critic he, from 1968. In some
3: ways, you could say he was the real butcher of Broadway, not Frank Rich. He was the infamous John Simon.
2: Because he was, what, well-known for hating everything?
3: Well-known for, he, uh, he didn't hate everything. He, was he, like George G. E. Nathan, actually, was, was very known for his snobbery. He was this, you know, you could kind of hear it in his voice. He had this European uh, snobbery for high culture and he loved insulting what you know a lot a lot of Broadway low culture, um, but he also was known for like in like describing actor he he would review not just the actors' performance but their appearance and rate them on especially the women on how attractive they were. Uh, he was not well liked by the theater community for many reasons, but he was uh, uh, widely read because he had a very flashy style he, he was kind of a real takedown artist you know he that's what people liked reading about him he was witty and he kind of uh what he when he wanted to really uh pan something he did it with style
2: 36 years at the same magazine that is yeah
3: yeah he finally kind of you know he had to, he was very old but he also had to step aside because his tastes were much out of favor by the 21st
2: century. We died in 2019 at 94. He had a stroke while at a dinner theater, so yeah. he kind of went out. <laughs> that that really, wouldn't be the first time that happened at a dinner theater. I'm sure. And he won the George G. Nathan Award in 1970. No, it all uh, they mention a woman, they show a woman named Joan Crosby, uh, who's, they call her, quote, a the nationally syndicated critic from NEA and an actress. So uh, the acting credits I found were on TV, at least, were very Meh, like she was on Marcus Mm -hmm. Welby, Ironside, Mannix, Emergency, a lot of guest shots. I'm assuming she did a lot of theater. And the NEA, I figured out by just Googling, was I assuming the National Endowment for the Arts. There's a lot of other NEAs, but. But but no, my friend. Oh, not the National. Oh, what is it? (laughs) Well,
3: this is another one that I I was frustrated that I had never really looked up who this person was because uh, unlike the other two, I, I did not recognize her by name or by title. So, and this was another one, like, like Homulus, like our friend Homulus, very hard to dig up on the internet, but I finally got some answers. Uh, uh, Joan Crosby, it turns out, while having done some credits while working in Los Angeles as a, as a journalist, really did not have an acting background. Uh, she seems like she really uh, was basically an entertainment reporter and, and an entertainment columnist who came up through local newspapers in the '60s, and by the time of this show, was basically an LA-based entertainment columnist for syndicated columnist for the National Inter- Newspaper Enterprise Association. Oh, wow! N.E.A. Newspaper Enterprise Association was one of these syndication services that uh, apparently is now considered the oldest syndication
2: uh, sort of still in operation.
3: Now, how did you find this 1802? out? I
2: spent time. What did you do? I want to know I'm, your trick.
3: Well, I will, you know, my, my trade secrets, you know, uh, but uh, I had to finally Google enough combinations of Joan Crosby, NEA. I did that. Syndication and college. I
2: did that. <laughs> I'll, I'll happy to give you, I'll give you some lessons. to. Did you use uh, any, I want to, I'm not letting this go. Did you use any uh, sources you have a subscription to through your job well, or something that aren't just okay. google okay. Do you have a subscription service?
3: I do, but I did not. I'll, I'll tell you the secret. Yeah. Google Books. Google
2: Books. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't do Google Books. Gives okay. you access to yes. uh, I know all google, different yeah. kinds of, right. yeah. Right, okay.
3: So, um, but it still took a while. And here's who, I, my take on who Joan Crosby is, is she's an entertainment columnist. She had a column- she regularly that was syndicated in newspapers across the country, but not like an A-list, you know, uh, and she called it. She had a column called the TV Scout. I saw so, that. I
2: saw one article. Yes, said right. that. Yeah. So this
3: is very much up your alley. She's a, like very much in plugged into TV history of the 70s, but on a very like, you know, almost uh, sub level, you know, um, and she gave out awards on the Merv Griffin show. Apparently for her, she made up her own award show. So, um, why is she on this fake? I think,
2: yeah, yeah. my theory is. Well, that... there's, let me, there's two questions to answer. Why did the real odd couple hire her to be this fake, to play herself on the show? And yeah. then why would the <laughs> show in the show hire her or bring her in as a theater critic? Please answer both questions.
3: <laughs> okay. Um, so, my theory is that here they are in, in LA in 1974, and they're putting together this episode, and they rightly, someone rightly thought, this really shouldn't just be all men. Um, you know, that was very forward thinking of them. Uh, this is still an issue today in theater criticism that it's still a white male dominated field. And uh, there were female theater critics, but mostly based in on the East Coast or uh, in Chicago. So uh, here they decided, well, who can we find? Who's in Los Angeles? Cause that is where we're taping after all, not New York. And uh, who would be an appropriate uh, critic? And this is a woman who they would have known because she was a TV columnist, an entertainment columnist. Perhaps wrote about the show. I don't know. She's someone who would be on the junkets and all that. And so they say, "Oh yeah, let's get Joan." You know, she because I think she wrote about all entertainment. She wrote about theater as well, but more as like a gossip columnist standpoint, or a, you know, a, a features writer than a critic. And. Uh, now, the fact that that weird introduction that she's also an actress, that tells me that she wanted while out there, she kind of like put herself out there to be on Manix and like she liked doing cameos. And so maybe that's how she wanted to build herself so that she could get more TV work. Who knows. So it's a yeah. little stretch to, call, to put her, she's not a theater critic at, at, at the level of the other two, but she's an uh, arts and entertainment journalist for sure.
2: That all makes sense to me. The third is Dan Sullivan, who was the L.A. Times theater critic for 22 years. He retired in 1992 and became a teacher. Then we see Oscar sitting with a white bandage wrapped entirely around (laughs) his head and Felix sitting next to him. And then we get this final scene, which is one of my favorites.
5: To my immediate left from the New York Herald, Oscar Madison. And to Mr. Madison's left is his dentist. (laughs) Dr. Felix Unger, Uh, doctor, if I understood you correctly backstage, you said this afternoon you had to remove all of Mr. Madison's back teeth? That's right,
1: John. Mr. Madison can only mumble, but trooper that he is, he insisted on being here, so he will mumble his insights to me and I will pass them along to Mr. and Mrs. Front Porch.
5: Oh, thank you both, Doc. I, I would like to begin with uh, John Simon. Ah. Uh, John, where would you say theater stands today in, in relation to the rest of the media? Well, there's no doubt in my mind that for most American people today, theater has been
0: completely superseded by film. Ah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How can you say a thing like that? Nothing will ever replace theater. As Mr.
5: Madison says, the immediacy, the excitement of theater, that people will come back to that. Well, true, but I think today's audience finds more of that immediacy in television. Television? How how can you compare theater? How can you compare Gomer Pyle with Olivier? Pardon me, we have have to take a brief break right now for our first commercial. We'll be right back. Yeah, I think we could hear some of your opinions and not your dentists. Mm-hmm. John. Mm-hmm. I, I'm wiping up the floor
0: with those. Felix, what's the matter with you? It's supposed to look like I'm the one that's doing the thinking. Yeah, I'm going to. What the... These squares don't know what they're talking about. Felix, if you say one more word that doesn't look like it's coming from my mouth, I'm going to remove all of your back teeth. Five seconds.
5: <laughs> on the air. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Speak Out. John, what would you say is is one of the most significant developments in recent modern theater?
1: Well, for one, I think seeing Brando in Streetcar revolutionized... <sighs> How fantastic. can you say a thing like that? Theater is not revolutionary, my dear child Theater... It's evolutionary. Brilliant point. Well, yes, but a great event like Streetcar gives. That's your co- idea of a great event. Yes, yes. It you is. probably went name over his body. Well, what do you expect? To give if... a woman a column? That's what's going to happen. You, Mr. Madison, you are about the rudest, most backward man I have ever met. If you will forgive me, mm. gentlemen.
5: If you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. <laughs> Look, Mr. Madison, do we have to drag personalities into this? He's I came right. here right. to talk about the theater. Theater?
1: You call what you've got in Los Angeles theater?
5: Yes, I call that theater. It's good theater. I cover it, and I'm proud of it. I think I'm going to join Miss Crosby. Uh, Excuse uh, me. Uh, uh, John, you're, of you're course. Good. Of course. Thank you.
0: Mr. Madison, I'm not surprised to find your perfect boorish clod. I've read most of your reviews and have found them virtually without any value whatever. Mr.
1: Madison would like to mm, respond. Mm, 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 mm. He says your mother wears combat
5: boots. <laughs> oh, Charlie, there's no point in going on with this. Mr. Madison, you've succeeded in insulting three of the most respected critics in this country. Hopefully, after this brief word, we'll see if we can get them to return.
1: Well, what do you think, huh?
5: I wish I'd worn the dress. <laughs>
2: That is just perfect, Felix. It's such a yeah. great scene. It's him that is the arrogant. Just, when when John Barber introduces John Simon, he goes, "Oh, because you know he's <laughs> he's, he's so uh, like so." Oh, oh, this is just saying, this. Oh, yes, of course, the yes, so respected oh, John fair, yeah. Simon, and then he just tears him, <laughs> calls, insults him. Um, every time Felix talked, he would tug on Oscar's bandage to bring him right, it, make it look like Oscar's whispering inside. That's the Felix's. physical comedy yeah, bit of yeah. this, right. And then when John Cry- <laughs> Simon criticizes, there the reviews. Oscar slowly turns with a big grin on Felix's face. Yeah, I love that. Jack Klugman
3: it's like, you know, he's so tortured throughout the whole scene. But that to hear John Simon insult Felix, he just almost lets the gag. He almost like lets the thing out of his mouth.
2: I really would like to have seen what happens after the break. Yeah. Now, what is the next scene of that show? Well, what does poor John do? He's great, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the,
3: because he, he's so straight, he is, he's the perfect straight man yeah. for this. And I think, I mean, part of what's so hilarious about Felix, Felix's uh, antics here, even more than usual, is that it, it it's the juxtaposition, right? It's like, this is, a, it starts off as such a solemn, square, kind of sober discussion, right? And amongst these serious theater critics and the very serious host. And we know that Felix loves the theater and is, takes it very seriously. So the fact that his comebacks at them are all about things like your mother wears combat boots—that <laughs> he's so uh, crude with them—is it's kind of out of character, but it's what
2: makes it really hilarious. Uh, the actor I was referring to before is Albert Paulson, who looks a little bit like John Simon and oh. sounds a little bit like him. The actor we will, you. we will see him later. Yeah so it's just i don't have a lot more to say about the scene it's it's
3: one of the great scenes it's like the courtroom
2: scenes yeah like yeah uh in the tag felix is sitting at the dining room table he's got some papers in front of him oscar walks behind him to the kitchen felix says did you talk to your editor oscar says yeah i called my editor felix says yeah is he mad at you oscar says sure he's mad at me he saw the show last night but i apologize and he's not going to fire me Felix says, I'm glad you did the right thing. I realize it may have gone a little bit too far. I may have said one or two things that possibly could be misinterpreted. Now, Oscar's come back from the kitchen with a bag of a package of raw hot dogs. (laughs) You sure they're raw? I'm pretty sure they're raw because they're in the package and they looked raw. And he starts eating. He starts dipping them in mustard (laughs) and eating them. And nobody, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no reference to this. The audience doesn't laugh at it, but it, it's, it's for the gag at the end of the, at the end of the tag. Um, Oscar says may have possibly, Felix says, well, something like if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, that could be taken two ways. Anyway, I've tried to do the right thing. I've written letters of apology to Mr. Simon, Mr. Sullivan, Mr. Barber, Miss Crosby. Oscar says good. Felix says, I think one more apology is due. Oscar says, What's that? Felix says, One from you to me. Oscar says, What for, Dr. Unger? <laughs> Felix says, It seems to me when one has used the deceit, the chicanery, the underhanded news that you used in tricking me into this entire fandango, that an apology is due. Oscar says, All right, maybe you're right. So I owe you an apology. I apologize. Felix says, I thought you might feel that way, so I wrote it up. Oscar says, You wrote on a note of apology for me to sign? Felix says, Yes. Oscar takes the hot dog that's dipped in mustard and uses it to sign it, and walks <laughs> away. Felix says, "Look, look at it." Look, Felix looks at the paper and says, "I accept your mark,
3: like your marker, like you know, for your signature."
2: Um, you know, one one of the
3: many ridiculous things about the about the scheme about Felix's crazy idea of the the uh, bandages is that even if this were true, and F- Oscar had his teeth removed and still went and wanted to go on the show there's no reason why the dentist would be, have to be the person exactly of course interpreting for him. yes yes <laughs> so that just adds uh that's just like the chef's kiss on this that felix can't doesn't can't just go on as just someone his friend translating he has to be an authority figure himself but as a
2: dentist and why all this back teeth why not right <laughs> something a little bit simpler to believe also, he keeps taking out his I guess he's got something in his mouth to make it look like he's. Right. Seen, and nobody on the set notices <laughs> that he's talking. Well,
3: to be fair, if you're just listening, they, the, the dialogue they have during the commercial break is off
2: to the side. The first so, time, but the second oh, right. time he oh, takes yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you think the host would see that, yes. Um, and it does seem like mean, Felix is really good at writing reviews. It feels like yes. there should be huh. a way of utilizing him. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, you. Uh, so before we review... I,
3: before we go on, I yes. do want to tell. I have a story that relates yeah. to this episode. Okay, that I, I thought would be a great time to share this because when else when I talk about the Odd Couple. Um, so uh, I have dabbled in theater criticism myself. So this episode is very close to my heart. Um, and but part of my early experience in learning about theater criticism was there's actually is a not a school, but there's a uh, uh, cl- there's a class you can take at. Uh, in Connecticut at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, which is a uh, summer, kind of a summer theater festival in New London, Connecticut. Um, and they do a lot there. But one of, the, uh, one of the things they do there is they have a workshop for uh, aspiring critics. And so I signed up for that. This is like 20 years ago. And uh, uh, we, would, we would review the shows at the festival, but then we would also like write, have various writing exercises and essays. And so one day the teacher said, all right, right for tomorrow, write an essay on the topic of ethics in theater criticism. And I just, it just like, uh, uh, I just couldn't get my head around like what would be an ethical violation? It seemed like a, is this isn't politics this isn't medicine or science and i was thinking, like what what how am i what what's what are you going to really say about ethics and i, realized, I thought of this episode i said well the one instance i can think of, of something that'd be really unethical would be to pass someone else's reviews off as yourself as your own and so i in my i started my essay off saying in this episode of the odd couple when i thought about theater ethics i thought about this episode of the odd couple where oscar uh, you know uh, passes off his friends reviews as his own and they go on tv and blah 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 and before I could keep reading the rest of the essay, this was not the whole essay, the teacher interrupted and says, I was on that show. What? And that man was Dan Sullivan. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, it did say, <laughs> oh, wow. Dan Sullivan, who I did not, who I had no clue. I never put his name together with the episode because I hadn't seen it, I think, in a long time. And he was a much older now. He didn't look. He, he clearly the same guy, but he didn't look like he did them. Uh, <laughs> which then like the whole class, you know, had this startled moment. That, and where Dan told us now, I wish I remembered more detail about, he didn't really go into a lot of detail about what it was like. I wish I had more opportunity to ask him, but it, basically that was the deal. He was the LA times theater critic at the time and they were filming in LA. So it was a piece of perfect person to have on, to have uh, do a cameo um but you didn't really have much else to say about it but there it was just a really you know one moment where my odd couple remembrance uh
2: had i did impact. say earlier that he became a teacher after that's right career. he did that's, so that's well right. doesn't this mean you could get him to be a guest on our show i i believe he is still with us i did um, i believe so too yeah right well um I could. I'm not sure what
3: else he could talk about other than this one episode. But.
2: So he had, well, of course, I'm talking about this episode. <laughs> so he had no behind the scenes stories or any interesting tidbits. No,
3: we had to move on. I mean, it wasn't really, you know, we a lot. <laughs> we, we weren't supposed to be talking about the odd couple all that time, but um, no.
2: But it was just a. That's a great story. Random, random yeah. odd couple moment in one's life. Well, this is time to reveal that Joan Crosby is my mother nice try, have, have nice okay, try. Okay, um but that's great um so i really i really like this episode it's one of my favorites i give it five out of five murray's Ooh, wow.
4: uh
2: even though the dentist scenario is preposterous they admit it like they, they they own yeah. up to it so i completely yeah. don't care because they uh, get it because they uh they admit it um and it's just a perfect i love you know you have your connections to Broadway. My, my parents yes. grew up loving Broadway. I went to see a lot of Broadway shows. There's a theater named after my father um, who passed yes. away.
3: I know where that is. Actually.
2: Yes. Right. We talked about that, I think, right. early yeah. on. And, um, and so going to the theater was a big part of my growing up in the seventies in New York, in this era. I mean, I was five or six, but them going and hearing about them going and them taking me, um, you know, mostly musicals, not, not, neil simon plays but i just have an affinity for this that um that makes me remember my childhood because of watching the show as a kid growing up in new york in the 70s broadway being such a big part of, of my of my family and 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 um that that's a natural that's part of the reason i give it a five is because of my affection for the topic but um it's just every scene works um felix is you know is just you know great and Oscar. it's all it all makes sense in, in its own weird way there's a logic to it um and uh and i like the fact that they do you know there are some street scenes so it feels a little bit more real um so this is one of my one of my faves
3: no i'm so glad because yeah i agree definitely a five for me and um and as you said it's like it, it, it's it's uh, you know for both of us it's uh, the, su- the subject matter is irresistible uh but it's also just really well done like i would i would like it anyway but it turns out to actually be a really well crafted episode um i think that you know it's very it, it, its plot line is very steady and focused you know it has it's this whole arc of felix getting carried away with power right really this is what it becomes um it really progresses nicely you know the plot twist of when he finds out is not given away too early has Myrna in it, um, and uh, and a lot, and the fact that they used all these real uh guest stars, it's a as much as uh, you know, you could say that Broadway theater was still on the radar of popular culture a little more than that it is now, but what other show would have even done this then? You know, <laughs> I can't imagine another sitcom that would have this much inside info and real people from the theater world on the show
2: wait you think broadway was more part of popular culture than well that? i disagree I guess, that i guess no you
3: well you're you know what we're having a moment now where it is between
2: hamilton back, and all the and disney yes, stuff they,
3: yeah i agree i, agree. I think you Broadway. Know, actually to be more precise historically it actually is beginning the, li- the 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 data point we use is that hello dolly was the last number one billboard number one song from a broadway show and that was in like in 64 i think it was 65 and after that you could see a real decline in bro- a lot of aspects of broadway so what about Greek?
2: what about the song music from greece i don't know if any of those was a number
3: one hit i oh. i'll stand corrected if that's true but certainly even if that's true that was a different kind of it was a rock musical so you know oh, it's not the old tradition um and and just for and for all the reasons they say on this show theater and television i mean movies right. and television right. and, you know. Uh, taken over much more right around this time is a real turning point so you could also maybe tony randall is responsible in some way as like you know this is uh, uh supporting the theater as he went on to do right as a theater company manager himself later in life so you could tell his heart is in this uh with all his homulus the mute references and all that so it's got a lot going for it
2: well if you have any feedback for us or uh insights or uh criticisms, I guess, is okay, too. Uh, um, Please email us at 1049pod at gmail.com. And uh, if you leave us a five-star review, that would be great. Good night, fella. Oh, now we see your true colors, Ted.